everybody, and welcome back to Scale with Predictable Success, where we get the opportunity to speak to those who have, by themselves and with other people, delivered what we call predictable success in their own life and career. And today, I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to someone who I first met, I guess, as you'll hear, sort of as like a client, uh, and who's become, in turn, a colleague and recently just a great friend, and it's Scott Ritzheimer, CEO of Scale Architects. Welcome, Scott. Les, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Well, well, so we we amped up the anticipation for each other. Let's face it, by both having to reschedule twice, so yes. we're finally here <laughs> and we're ready to do it. And, and as the listeners will hear, uh, part of the reason uh, Scotty had to reschedule was because of a major life event that occurred last year. But we'll get to that at some point. We're going to talk a lot, Scott, about scale architects during this call. But let's just set that aside for a moment. And uh, I'd love for the listeners just to hear a little bit about you. I mean, where'd you grow up? What'd you do? Um, what was your life before you got to Scale Architects? And then we'll talk about what came after. Yeah, so my life was a little bit of everything. Folks ask where I'm from, and I still haven't quite figured out the answer to that question because I was born in California, grew up in Pennsylvania, went to school in Kansas City, and I live in Atlanta. So with all of that, <laughs> Atlanta is home. I've lived here longer than anywhere else. And it's the place where I, you know, it's the city I enjoy seeing most from the window of a plane, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, Atlanta is definitely home. I uh, live here with my wife, Hilda Marie who is from Norway, uh, which a friend of mine told me is a rare commodity and to hang on to that as long as I can. Absolutely. Uh, and so she's wonderful. Uh, we have three children, Benjamin, Liam, and Isabel. Isabel is our newest. She joined us last year over the summer and has just been an absolute bundle of joy. Um, spent a lot of time, as I look back at it now, business and entrepreneurism was always kind of woven into what I did. I just never saw it. Uh, you know, I was never the quintessential, like selling candy on the playground. I didn't really care about that, but I was always finding a way of making money and, and more so finding a way of leading something. Um, and so it took me a while to get there. Uh, where I spent more of my time, especially in the earlier years, was in ministry. Uh, I did a, a lot of work with ministries, went to a school of ministry in Kansas City. And uh, that's actually how I landed here in Atlanta, was to come and work with a, an organization that's now called Gate City uh, and still on the board of directors with them now. Fantastic organization built around the idea of 24-7 prayer, which is pretty cool. Um, and while I was there, I bumped into a, a guy named Raul Rivera, and Raul uh, is the entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Uh, he's um, what in our world we call a visionary to the nth degree. And um, he, when we had moved down, we were just working for a ministry and we were doing it free. So I needed something as some kind of income. And so he came to me one day and He's like, hey, you happen to be looking for a job because he was just dying to bring people in, you know, and it was, I wasn't I wasn't remotely qualified for anything that he did. He did, uh, you know, preparate IRS preparation work for churches. And I was a punk kid who had gone to ministry school, you know, but it's like anyone he could hire, he was hiring. We were working in his basement at the time. My first, <laughs> this is, this is bad. My first week I was corresponding with the IRS for folks. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it was sink or swim, make, uh, you know, do or die. And, um, you know, started in the not so proverbial mailroom with him. I was answering. We had a, an email address, support at startchurch.com. And that was my job. Uh, and we had some software and I was working on that and 
it was a side thing, you know, it was enough to have money to do ministry. And uh, shortly after I started, he actually sold the company to a, a competitor that was in Nashville. And uh, it was one of the best business lessons of my life. Uh, within 18 months, the organization went from 13 employees and several million dollars in sales to three employees working from home with no sales whatsoever. Wow. And uh, just watched the new owners systematically but unintentionally destroy the organization. And it was just a, a great, great lesson in what not to do in a purchase a transaction, what not to do if you're selling, uh, how businesses work and what, what makes them not work, uh, all in a very short period of time. And without breaking any confidences, if you can, what were the key contributing factors to such a precipitous decline? Yeah, I love doing. Uh, I, I love being able to talk about this on this show because the model is really helpful for this. So the predictable success model that you've created, that me and the scale architects use every day, really is a helpful explanation because what had happened was he had fought hard to get out of early struggle. Right. and had really spent every bit of energy that he could to break free of that gravity. So we've got 13 people, basically all of us brand new within a year or two working in a basement, just trying to figure it out as we went. And so much of the organization rested on his shoulders. He was our primary sales rep. Uh, he was our primary technical consultant. Uh, he did all the speaking at our conferences. He was the company. Right. And uh, everybody in the process underestimated that. And so when he sold, he sold with, a, I'll consult with you and be helpful, but they really wanted space from him and he really wanted space from the company. And so they, they bought a company, but they gave up its best asset is, is what really happened at the end of the day. And so what that did for us, you know, long story short, 2008, September, they call and say, hey, we've given this our best shot. We've got no other option but to declare bankruptcy unless you want it back. We'll just give you everything back. You can take it and hopefully you can make something with it. So admirable, right? And there was no bad guys in this situation. It's just everyone trying to do a great job and it, it just it didn't work. Uh, and so at that time, he asked me to come on. I was one of the three people that remained. He asked me to come on and work with him and relaunch the organization. We had about $150,000 in debt we didn't know about with vendors. Uh, we had about 250 clients uh, for the two of us to handle that we didn't know about that hadn't been served by the other organization because they were just in over their heads. And, uh, and they had also completely destroyed the website. And we were a web-based company. So we're, it was like, there was no chance that this thing was going to work, but it was our best shot. And, uh, and, and so during all of that kind of craziness, I had every reason to not like business. You know, it was, I was just saw the, the underbelly of how the business world works, even when people, good people are trying to do the right thing. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with business. And uh, I just realized like in the messiness of all of that, there's an opportunity to create something really special. And that's what founders do at heart. And it's why I love working with them. And so I was all in uh, September, 2008. Now, if you remember, that wasn't a great time I to do. start a business. I do remember very well. <laughs> I had just started the process of getting to publication uh, with predictable success at the yeah. exact same time you're talking about. And I remember everybody telling me, like, you are, uh, could you have picked a worse time? Well, of course, neither you nor I got to pick the time, right? Nope. Nope. But, uh, but it worked. 
we, uh, I mean, almost immediately the phone started ringing and uh, Raul is just a genius when it comes to sales. Uh, it's just spectacular, especially in the, in the industry that we were in. And what we were doing, we were working directly with churches. So we were doing the actually the business side of church was the best way to describe what we did, particularly those that were starting. We would help them register with the state and the IRS and the Social Security Administration and all of that. Right. And, uh, and so phones start ringing, sales start coming in, and we're trying to hire people really as fast as we can. We were able to hire back some of the people that had been let go. But from there on, you know, was, we joke about this now, but it was pulse-based hiring. You know, like if you had a pulse, you were in, you know, like if you were, if you had a pulse, the second criteria was, are you willing to work in a basement until we can find an office, you know? And so we had, I mean, it was just all the, the, the funny stuff of early struggle. We, we were working in the basement, but we weren't really zoned to work in the basement. So there's this constant dance with the HOA. And we, at one point, I think we had about 12 people working there in just half of his basement by this point. And, uh, and they started fussing about cars. So we had to park in a, uh, a local shopping center parking lot and I had to shuttle people back and forth in my truck. And that was just what we did, you know? Um, and, you know, to make a long story short, it, it, it worked phenomenally well. So, you know, just like we talk about in fun, you end the day righteously exhausted, but, uh, but it was good. We were winning uh, double-digit growth year after year. We never registered, but with the growth rate that we were experiencing, we were, I think, just about the top 500 of Fortune 500 for a while. Huh? And uh, it was just phenomenal. And, and it's one of those things you feel like, okay, you know, what are we going to do? We're going to add another million dollars next year. How are we going to do it? Same way we've always done it. We're going to add a sales rep, do a couple more events. And it's great. Right. Until it repeat, isn't. Rinse and repeat. Yep. Until it isn't. And, you know, listeners for this show know all about uh, Whitewater and what that looks like, but that hit us really hard. Uh, it, it hit us pretty early because of our work in the nonprofit space. We really did. We were about a fifth of the price of our competitors. So it hit us at a relatively low headcount and a relatively low uh, revenue number, but it, it hit pretty hard. Uh, like how did it, is it, most, how did it yeah, start to show up, Scotty? What did you uh, begin Where was... we felt it the most, yeah, was particularly with our events. Um, and what was going on is a big part of our growth strategy, about 45% of our income at one point was coming from events that we were doing all across the country. We would do one day events, we'd bring people in. And uh, the way that it worked was it was a small price to get in and then we would sell our services. Uh, and, and that's how we actually made our revenue. And the, the strategy was more right? We just do more of these events and right. uh, you reach about 50 with one person and you realize like we're for one day events, that's you're about tapped. Right. And, uh, and so we're like, okay, how are we going to grow? Yeah. And what we were doing was we were trying to take what was the unique gifting of Raul and reproduce that a bunch, across a bunch of people but at a time when that industry was declining, right? If right. public events, especially in the church world, were declining because YouTube is there and, uh, you know, so many things were online. And so what happened was we kept pushing on the revenue number. You know, if we can grow revenue, everything else will be okay. And our profit margin was shrinking every year. Right. So we were going from, you know, 30% and it dwindled all the way down to one year, just over 7%. Sure. And, and revenue was going up the whole time. And it's just like, what is happening? You know, how is this even possible? 
And what ended up happening was we didn't realize it because we had no way of, of looking at the data. We didn't really use data all that much. It was, you know, the whole like whoever had the best story was, was who won the argument. Right. And, uh, and, and uh, what ended up happening was we were losing close to a million dollars a year on those conference events. Gee. By the time you actually put in, you know, the cost of the event, the cost to do all of the work, the added cost of getting people there and back and all of that. We, it looked like it was bringing us in uh, about 1.2, $1.3 million, but uh, it was actually taking, uh, it was a little less than a million dollars, but, but pretty close. And it was an enormous drain on our energy. Right. So our entire leadership team, almost every meeting was, how can we get conferences back on track? How can we get conferences back on track? And it just wasn't happening. So around that time, um, I was listening to a podcast and I, I, don't remember if it was you or if it was someone else on staff, but they got on Donald Miller's podcast uh, from StoryBrand and talked about the seven stages that uh, that we all go through. Right. And it was like, what is happening? You know, I just I remember sitting there in my truck and I just stopped at one point and I was like, I this is uncanny. How is it possible? And so I was like, I have to find out more. And so I I got the uh, audiobook actually. And a uh, funny story with it, it was, um, this was actually 2014 because we, my wife and I had planned a trip. She's from Norway, we mentioned earlier. So we were out in Norway and every time we'd go over there, we'd kind of pawn the kids off on the, the, my in-laws right. and then travel across yeah. Norway somewhere or so Norway or Europe or something, you know? So we had trips to London and, and, uh, and this particular one, we went down to watch the formula one race in Monaco, which is like creme de la creme, you know, oh, it's like, uh beautiful place it's right event. there we spent a lot of time in nice as well which is just marvelous so hilda marie's having a blast i'm getting to watch fast cars go around small <laughs> streets and it just it doesn't get any better so we're about to go on this trip and we're actually on the flight down uh it was a connecting leg from amsterdam to to nice france romantic weekend with my wife and what am i doing you know mr <laughs> mr romance i'm listening to a, an audiobook by this guy named les McEwen. and uh, i remember it clear as day um i remember looking out the window listening to it on my headphones and and got to the chapter about white water and it was just one thing after the next like yes 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 how can he know this you know it, it's right. It's what I experience now. I mean, every time working with a client, I've heard you talk about it countless times. Is do you have a camera in our office somewhere? You know, like do you have you been reading my emails? Yeah. And and that's what it was. And the very first thought that went through my mind is, oh my goodness, we are in white water. And the second thought that came right after that was if I could help people get out of white water for as my occupation every day of my life, I would die a happy man. And that's, that's a really unusual. weird thought. Right. <laughs> that's right. that's not is. normal. No, it's not. <laughs> and so, um, uh, you know, like most entrepreneurs, what did I do? I went, I, I had a great trip with my wife, came back and I did nothing. Yeah, I, you know, I, I had it in a book. It was in my head. I was right. like, okay, I've got it figured out. You know, we're in whitewater. And so, I mean, it was another three years of just kind of slogging through whitewater, wondering what's going on and how, what we can do about it. And I realized, hey, wait a second, like I, I know the answer. It's in the back of that book that I read. And so I dug it out, got the physical copy this time. And I just took my team through the back part of the book. It says how to get out of whitewater into predictable success. And we worked that plan. And within 12 months, there's a massive transformation. We added a million dollars, not to our top line, but to our bottom line. Wow. 
which tripled our bottom line at the time, uh, almost tripled our bottom line. And, and from then on, I was just like, this is it. Like, you know, I've used all kinds of different stuff from all of the people that we all know. And it's great. It was helpful. It moved us along, but nothing had anywhere close to the impact that just walking through that book did. Right. Um, and so uh, it was just like, this is, this is tremendous. Well, you know, then what happened? Just, just yeah, as an aside, Scotty, I got to say, that hearing you say that, and obviously I've heard the story before, uh, but having heard so many similar versions, the tw twinge I get every time I hear it is, why couldn't I have worked out a business model where instead of the price of the book, people got the book free and I got a slice of the revenue and or profit improvement that was, because I would never need to work again if I could have worked that one up, but I didn't. Anyway, I'm glad it worked for you. So you've got it back on track. What happens next? And then what happens when you get out of Whitewater? You end up in predictable success. And I was looking at predictable success saying, that's wonderful. It looks kind of boring. <laughs> 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 and so I, I, worked, uh, I worked really hard, but um, I, I could see that my time leading the organization, uh, you know, I love churches. I loved what I did there. They're a lot like founders, you know, they're, they're really cut from the same cloth. And, uh, and, and I love that aspect of it, but it was my entire world was church. You know, I went to church, my kids were at a Christian school. I worked at a company that only worked with churches, you know, was, mm. I needed something else. I, I needed to, to broaden that a little bit. And, um, I found that I enjoyed working on organizations than, than working in organizations, right? right. I, I loved building Start Church more than I did the products that we made. Classic and consultant mindset. Exactly. Right. And so being CEO, that's not what my organization needed, particularly in predictable success. It needed that vision. It needed that spark. And, and I wasn't the one to do that. And so as all of those things were coming together, I was like, what am I going to do next? And I was like, well, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do for other people what took me years to do, right? Because I know that I can do it in a fraction of the time. And so as I started planning my transition out, I was looking at a few different options of what I was going to do. I knew I was going to be working with founders. I knew that I wanted to work in that entrepreneurial space, but I didn't exactly know where it was going to land. And my very last week, you know, we, we did a whole transition process, went phenomenally well. Um, it's one of those things where you tra if you transition a company really well, you wonder like, was I screwing it up when I was there? Because it's working really, really well now. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was one of those. So uh, I'm so proud of those guys. They're doing phenomenal. Um, but what, uh, what it, it, it was clear for me that it was time to move on. And my very last week there was the very first week that you opened the Predictable Success Practitioner Program. And, uh, and I, I knew that I didn't it. realize there was such a close proximity to those yeah. two events. Yeah, it was the, the, they overlapped. Uh, I, I went and did the training with you in your living room back then. And, uh, and I came back and we did, I was there for one more day. We did a big celebration and that was it. Huh. I was off to the races and, uh, and it's been amazing. I remember I had looked at several different programs, uh, at the time, you know, uh, again, you, you can name them. We don't have to name them, but, um, the thing that I had experienced with them was like, you get this great book and then you kind of look behind the scenes and the book was the best part. The book was all there was. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It was like, after that, it's kind of like, oh, it's, it's all downhill from there. And so I kind of expected that I expected, you know, the book is, you know, you see what, what it, what you see is what you get. And, right. and that was great because it, it did a massive 
uh, amount of, of good for me and my organization. And I knew I could use it to do great things for other people. But I remember sitting in your living room and you pulled out, uh, I believe it was the org chart workbook. And then you pulled out the lateral management workbook. And it's like, whoa, wait a second. There is so much more to this under the surface than I had any clue about. And, and my first thought was like, man, I wish I had this <laughs> back then because it, it would have made figuring this out a lot easier. Um, but that would have been a big book though, right? That would it would be a very a big, very book, big, book. very, very big book. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, so I, I was like, well, I wish I had it in the, in the back end. But then I was like, man, there's so much here. And this is, this is the start of something that's really exciting. And, uh, and so, yeah, I hit the ground running as a, a licensed predictable success practitioner. So um, uh, uh, maybe it'd be good if I in a moment or two talk, talk a little bit about how that transitioned into you where you are now, uh, CEO of Scale Architects. But before we get there, at the point that we just got to, what did you anticipate you were going to do becoming a licensed practitioner? Were you intending to be a general consultant using predictable success as your core you know, go-to model? Uh, were you going to work in the church world, probably not from what you were just saying, just, just uh, sketch out a little bit where, because um, this is a bit of, a, became a bit of a sliding doors moment for you. Where had you taken the first option? Would you have landed up today? Yeah, I was doing some work in the marketing space as well. Right. So general consultant is a very good way of doing it. Uh, I was what I now call an everyone coach. You know, I was like, ah, you know, because as an entrepreneur, and we can dig into this a little bit later, but as an entrepreneur, you are everything. Like you have right. to check all the boxes. So like there was a time when I was our marketer, you know, there was a time when I was our sales rep. There was a time when I was our fill in the blank. Right. And, and you have to be to an extent a jack of all trades. And, uh, and so I was kind of walking out saying, Hey, I've got this whole tool set, if you will, of life experiences, it weren't really tools, but they were life experiences. And I want to share this with other people. Right. Uh, what predictable success was for me is I really wanted to help folks in whitewater. That was the key. Uh, I, I really genuinely wanted to help folks in whitewater. And I had not seen any tool that was that was anywhere near it in terms of, of its effectiveness. So uh, I, for a long time, I kind of, I rode two horses with one butt. You know, you, it's really difficult to be a, a marketer and a consultant at the same time. Uh, in my mind, those fit together a lot better than they did in the real world. And so it took me a, a little while to kind of, lay one of those to rest. Um, I knew all along that what I really wanted to do was the consulting. Right, right. And uh, so uh, just if I can grab the reins for a moment of the narrative, um, uh, for reasons that will become obvious, what happens, dear listener, is I, I launched this uh, licensed practitioner program and we get the first cohort, uh, and I keep it deliberately small because I'm testing this out. This is the first time I've really uh, tried to uh, teach the model to more than one or two people at a time uh, in terms of them becoming people that can use it. Uh, so as Scotty said, I do it in my own living room with eight or 10 people there. And uh, there's this one guy, I don't know any of them personally, but there's this one guy and he's always got a question that goes one level beyond what I had shown up ready to talk about. Now, in my own defense and for my own self-esteem, it's not that I can't answer the question. I just wasn't expecting anybody to ask it. 
Uh, and you'll not be surprised to, to guess who this is. And we then have this uh, series of uh, open hours, which we still have every month. There's a, an open hour session. Uh, in fact, just as we're recording this, uh, our next one's the, the day after Scotty and I record this uh, interview. But back then I'm hosting them. Now Scott runs them. And we have an open question period. And I'm sort of, frankly, to be honest with you, I'm on the call and thinking, okay, the questions will drizzle out. I'll get a, we'll finish a little early. I'll get 15 minutes for spare. It doesn't matter what the time is available. This one guy will just keeps asking questions and he's still asking them as I'm cutting off the Zoom call. <laughs> and he's pestering me with uh, questions offline, online, making suggestions about stuff telling me stuff that I'd only recently worked out about the program. So I have all of that going on. Uh, and, the, and, and the other folks, no slouches either. I mean, but this is just a different, you know, kettle of fish as far as, uh, uh, let's say, the momentum that this guy was bringing. And on the other side, I'm experiencing the same thing that Scotty's just shared, which is um, I have a big heart for uh, what, was, what was then called our licensed practitioner program. It is a fantastic way for me to leverage a wonderful model that I've developed. But I hadn't uh, really thought through the fact that, hey, you know what? I also coach and consult a lot to people. Uh, you know, I've still got a practice of my own. And I was finding it very hard uh, to make the time available to um, uh, really develop the licensed practitioner uh, group the way I wanted to. And so I thought, you know what? I can kill two birds with one stone here. I go to this Scott Ritzheimer guy and I, I ask him to stop asking and start telling other people and ask him to take charge of this. That gets that off my back and he stops pestering me. So the, the first number one reason that, that, you know, I came to you to ask you to do this was it was just to stop the deluge <laughs> that I was getting. I'm only, I'm only joking entirely. But anyway. <laughs> It was right at the time I called you up. You said yes within, I don't think I'd finished the question when you said yes. What, why was that? What was the attraction to you? Because at that time, we hadn't really scoped out what this was going to become. Why did, why did the idea of taking over what now becomes skill architects appeal to you? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of reasons that it was very easy. One is, again, I've never seen a model out there that's like it. I was sitting at lunch um, a couple months into uh, working with it as a practitioner. And I was having lunch with a friend of mine who knows uh, I can poke a hole in just about anything, you know, and, and do so readily and, and often. Uh, and he said, what is it that you don't like about the model? And I, I was, I was at a loss for words. Uh, I, there's, there's things that I learned differently. There's different language that I've used for things. And so there was a, just a language learning curve for me. Right. Um, but there's, there's nothing that I fundamentally disagree with in it at all. And, and I can't really think of anything else that that's true of, you know? Right. Um, and so, uh, uh, and, and I've heard you say this, the further you go with it, the more you realize there's more to learn uh, because of just the way that it's structured, the way that it wasn't created as much as perceived uh, just lends itself to a constant opportunity to learn something new. And for a guy who likes to ask questions, uh, I'm, I'm lost if there's not something new to learn. Right. Uh, and so I, I really enjoyed that. The second part was, um, I, I love scaling things up. 
uh, I don't really see myself doing the, you know, 100, 200 sessions a year. Uh, that that's not really center of the bullseye for me. It's something that I'd, I love to do. I, uh, there's something magical about being in the room with folks, but I knew that that was, that was a temporary thing at best. And so the scale architects program gave me an opportunity to extend my impact and influence beyond my own personal hours. And that was something that was, you know, something I wanted to do and it fast tracked that rapidly. Right. And so uh, we pretty quickly got a deal hammered together. I think it was one of the most, uh, if, if the legal side of a, of a transaction can ever be anything other than, you know, uh, getting a prostate exam, uh, it was the most enjoyable, if I can even say it, that process. We got a deal hammered together really quickly. You got the license to, the master license to uh, license other people and predictable success. And you came up with and built the scale architects concept. So. Uh, I want you to share a couple of things. First of all, <clears throat> what's in it for somebody to become a skill architect? What does that mean? What can they do? What do you do to help them do that? And then let's talk a little bit about what it means to work with a scale architect. What is the sort of trigger that any of our listeners? So first of all, if any of our listeners want to be a skill architect, why would they do it? And secondly, why would any of our listeners want to work with a skill architect? Yeah, so it's a great question. And to keep the answers short on those, uh, in working with our current scale architects, uh, this year I had the opportunity to speak with uh, and, and interview uh, almost 200 different coaches and consultants. And over the course of being able to do that, I, I recognize there is a recurring pattern that's happening for a lot of folks uh, in, the, in the industry, dare I say every single one. And that is in those early years in particular, but it can drag on for quite some period of time. There are three mistakes that they make. Uh, and in making those mistakes, they, they limit their own ability to make income uh, as a coach or consultant. And you know, probably more importantly, they, they limit the impact that they create inside of organizations. Right. And so when you become a scale architect, either getting licensed uh, in, with the materials that you can use or getting certified and having, you know, having me come alongside you and coach you each step of the way, what we're doing is tackling those three for you. Uh, the three main things that will cause coaches to fail, and about eight out of 10 new coaches do fail, uh, and, and, but it's entirely avoidable. And so those things real quickly, and we'll kind of leave it as a teaser for folks. So we've got a, a solution for you uh, that, that you can pursue on your own if you're interested. But the first one is be becoming what I call an everyone coach. This is someone who, who like myself, you know, had success as a leader by being a little bit good at everything. Right. And think that that translates to being a great coach or consultant. And the right. truth of it is, that's not what it takes at all. Right. Uh, it, it's it, in fact, the opposite. And so what happens is when you become an everyone coach, particularly today, you're not the ideal choice for anyone. Right. And so it becomes exceptionally difficult to bring in especially high quality candidates, especially those ones that you can have the biggest impact for because you're spreading yourself thin over all kinds of different areas. Yeah, and I would say just to, to um, amplify that, Scott, one of the things that's heartbreaking to watch, and, and I know you've and I've both seen this a lot, is how often someone who is so highly respected as an informal mentor within organizations they're known for it they're the go-to person and they're brilliant at it 
and they think, uh, uh, and understandably, why wouldn't you think, uh, you know, I just, just, I just take what I'm doing here. I'm not getting paid for that. I'm getting paid to do the job I do. And here I'm mentoring people and they love it and I'm good at it. And so I'll, I'll step out and be a coach or a consult. And it just falls flat because it's a very different thing being a go-to informal mentor yeah. and actually building a successful coaching or consulting practice. So yeah. 100% echo that. So Yeah, absolutely. And so what ends up happening is that that very quickly leads to the second problem, which is where that person becomes what I call a what's up coach. They, they're taking so many different things in so many different directions. You know, can you help me with sales scripts? Yes. Can you help me with, you know, this employee problem I'm having? Yes. Can you help me build systems to scale my organization? Yes. Right. It's, it's, it's yes to all of it. You can't possibly have a structured process that you take people through for all of those. And so what that means is every single session, you're doing two, three, four, maybe eight times as much work before the session just to get ready for the session. That's right. not sustainable. Nobody can make a, a living doing that. And so what we end up doing is showing up at the sessions, preparing a little bit, but winging it, you know, and, and the, the clearest sign of that is, you know, you walk into a coaching session and, and this is helpful advice for folks who aren't coaches as well. Uh, they, they, you walk into a coaching session and the coach says, you know, what can I help you with today? Right. You know, it's like, I, I paid you for that, you know, it's, <laughs> and so, you know, if, if your primary consulting or coaching strategy is how can I help, right, that that's not very helpful. Right. And, and so the best, uh, the best, you know, clients, the best, uh, you know, coaches, whatever you want to call them, the best customers, they're not going to hang around for that. You get a couple sessions in it and they're out. They, they right. just don't have time for it. Right. And, and so you get high turnover, which is incredibly expensive because of right. the up round downtime. And it's a cycle and it just drives itself back again. And so then what ends up happening is it gets harder and harder to hang on to clients. Right. And it's really hard to find clients because you're not the ideal choice for anyone. And so what you end up doing is clinging to the clients that you have for as long as you can. And that clinging is what uh, drives the third mistake, which I call being a freeloader coach, where it, it, nobody wants to do this. There's not a single coach that I've ever met that wants to be in this position. So I want to just be very careful with it. They're trying to put food on the table, right? And they say, I've got a mortgage coming up. I've got this client. I know that I've done my best work for them and we're kind of on autopilot, but I have to keep them around. Otherwise I can't pay the bills. And so what ends up happening is they hang on to clients too long, right. which damages that relationship long term, ruins any potential that they have for referrals and keeps them stuck in this cycle of, you know, everyone coach, what's up coach, freeloader coach, and again and again and again. And so the, the way we've taken, I believe the best model out there, right? I've, I've said it multiple times on this. I'm not blowing smoke. It's, uh, you know, I had the option of picking any model I wanted and I went all in on predictable success. Right. Uh, so we've got that you get access to all of that, but more importantly, what we do is teach you how to use it to overcome those problems. Because if you're a coach or consultant, that's what you have to do. Right. Right. And so you and I, we uh, did this last summer, we put together a masterclass on how to do exactly that. So even if you don't become uh, a certified scale architect, even if you know you don't know what predictable success is today, we have a masterclass that'll help you to avoid those three. And you can get it at training.scalearchitects.com. And we can give that in the show notes yeah, and at we'll the end that. as well. But 
Uh, that masterclass is free. It's available to anyone. And it it's a really, it's, it's absolutely jam packed with content. Yeah. You do not need to be a skilled architect to benefit from it. But I will say that if you want to scale your own coaching consulting client, whether you're uh, practice, whether you're already in practice or you're thinking of stepping out there, the core thing you need to obviate those three uh, uh, fatal flaws that, that Scotty is so uh, uh, clearly enunciated is you need a model that has clear goals to take your clients to. That's what solves every single one of those issues. And that's Absolutely. what the predictable success model provides. Absolutely. And it works wonders. You know, my very first year as a consultant out of the gate was making six figures using predictable success. And, and I've seen it happen time and time again for our scale architects. Uh, and conversely, I, I've had quite a number of conversations with folks that are just barely making it by. I think the average coach in the US is something around $60,000. Right. For someone who's gone out and is not working for someone else, has no benefits, right? Has no guaranteed income whatsoever to make $60,000 a year it's it's just not worth it, right? There are so many things that you could do with a talent that these people have that either find a better way of doing it, right? Which I, I believe we've got a better way or give yourself the out and go back to whatever it was that you were doing before or step into something else. Um, and so it, it does, it breaks my heart that that coaching, getting a coaching business really genuinely off the ground to where it's thriving is so difficult. Uh, it, it's not necessary and we're doing everything that we can to help out. And uh, before we move on to the uh, uh, issue of uh, why would someone then want to work with a scale architect, um, let's look at the other side of the coin uh, in terms of people who may be attracted to the notion of becoming a scale architect. So as we already said, it resolves those issues. It's for anybody who's either got an existing practice, is thinking of stepping out there and wants to maximize the chances of success. But as we've learned uh, over the time that we've worked at this, there are certain uh, presuppositions that people might bring that would be wrong. Who, who is this not going to work for? Who might step in, sign up as a scale architect uh, and find that, that, that we don't deliver what they were looking for? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that I'll, I'll caution people of is one, we are not a lead generation source, right? right. Uh, that, that doesn't work the way that most people think it would. Uh, there's lots of people who can try to do that on LinkedIn. If you're on LinkedIn for any given time, you've been hit by all of them. Right. Um, but that's not what we do. That, that's not the primary problem that you need solved, right? There is a more core issue that's dealing with that. But if you're out there saying, hey, I've got all figured out, all I need is a few leads. This is not the program for that. We have leads that come into the program. It's wonderful, but that's not why you become a scale architect. The, uh, the way I think of that is, you know, you've got to, do the final mile, the last mile. We'll give you everything to that final hookup to your client. We'll we provide, you provide uh, some fantastic marketing and sales materials. There's a lot of templates and stuff out there. But if you think, oh great, I'll just plug in here, I'll sign up, uh, and then I, I sit back and the whole thing's on autopilot. That's not yeah. the way it works. You're not an employee. You're not a franchise. You're not any of those things. You're your own boss running your own organization, and we're there to help. That's, that's really what it is at the end of the day. Second thing uh, that I've found is folks who kind of come in thinking that they'll do it a little bit, 
Right. Uh, you know, I've got this other thing and I, I like predictable success. I'm going to just kind of tack it on. Right. Uh, the, the best analogy that I have for that is, um, you know, you have someone come out and uh, maybe do some plumbing work, right? You, your toilet's not working, it's backed up and someone comes and fixes your toilet and they say, oh, by the way, I can add a third story to your house. Is that something that you'd like? Like, no, <laughs> like, no, not at all. You know, it's, and so that's what predictable success is like. If you come in as a plumber and then you, you try and zoom all the way out and say, Hey, I'm, I, I can actually help you with these massive structural issues. It's just problem. cognitive dissonance for folks. Right. I did that. I've seen a handful of other people do that. And I don't recommend that. Do you have to be all in and drink the Kool-Aid of predictable success? No, by any, by no means. You don't but prevent can, people from, we don't tell people you've got to put our name on the front door. No. It's not a franchise. No, you get a license to use it. But can you do it as a, a little side hustle? I've not seen that work very well. I, I typically don't recommend it. I, I think it's one of those things that there is a disproportionate return on your time. The more time you put into it, the bigger the return you're going to get out of it. And, um, you know, starting up a coaching consulting thing is, is hard. Uh, it, it's not easy. Uh, we make it a lot easier, but it's still hard work. And you've got to be, you've got to be all in on that concept and we can make you that we can make that shine. So a lot of our listeners, um, not thinking of being coaches or consultants, although maybe we've, uh, you know, had a few people in this conversation start to think, oh, maybe it's not a bad idea, but many, many, many of them, uh, as you know, are people who know the model, been following it for a long time. Um, What's in it for somebody to uh, uh, approach scale architects and to talk to you about working with a scale architect? Yeah, the the clearest thing uh, that I like to use as an illustration is the org chart. So those of you who, who know about the model, maybe you've read the back part of the book, you know that one of the very first things you need to work on, we actually just did a webinar on this, you and I, uh, but the very first thing you need to work on if you want to scale your organization is your org chart. And what I've found is a, most people intuitively get that, you know, they, they kind of get that there's something to do with people, but they can't quite put their finger on it. And most of them just have a, a kind of visceral reaction to the words org and chart put together. You know, it's like, I'm not going to do anything with that. Right. And uh, I worked on my org chart for five years when I was CEO of our, our organization for five years, I, I knew it was something that needed to be changed. I felt like it was something that needed to be changed. I didn't know that it needed to. And, um, and I didn't quite know why it needed to change or how. I just felt like there was something off on it. And so what I do now and what our scale architects do is they help organizations make more progress in one day than I did in five years. Right. And so anyone can get through Whitewater eventually, right? If you I really want eventually, to, eventually, right? Yeah, and you really want to, you will figure it out, right? right. It's, it's not rocket science. You know, you can fumble through the dark. It's not life or death. It's just going it, to, it's just how much pain and time do you want to endure along the way? Right. And uh, reading the book gave us a, a rapid acceleration through that, bringing a guide in who knows the path will hands down be the fastest way to get through whitewater and into predictable success. It's the fastest way to get out of treadmill and back into predictable success. It's, it's the best way to go the furthest in fun, right? Uh, and so having a guide come alongside you uh, is, not, is something that I woefully underestimated in my time as an entrepreneur. And today I recognize I 
I went through a lot of hardship that was completely unnecessary. Right. Uh, from there, there's a couple of things. One is obviously if you're around here, you know, predictable success, you've heard my story, you've heard other stories, I'm sure you right. know that it's a powerful model. You get right. the model, you get someone who's been trained in that. Les and I have specifically gone in and worked with these people hands on at the ground level to make sure that they ex are exceptionally well-versed in, right. in the model and can use it to help organizations. Right. And from there, what, what's unique about it is our coaches aren't, aren't struggling with those three problems that other folks are having, right? So you know that they're going to be more focused on you than they are on building their own business because they've right. got a great book of, of, of clients already. Uh, you also know that they can give you, and, and this is, the, this is for, for predictable success as a whole, but the best thing about the scale architects is that they can give you stage-specific advice. Right. There's no other model that I know of. I actually talked on this at our summit, but there's no other model that I know of that is as, as that has at its core the question of when. Right. When do we need to do these strategies? You can go out and hire a sales coach and they're going to say, I can grow your business through sales. Some stages that's true. Some right. stages it's not. You can go out and hire a marketing consultant and they can grow your organization through marketing. Sometimes that tr that's true. Sometimes it's not. You can hire a management consultant who is great at you know, big HR programs. Sometimes that's appropriate and sometimes it's not. And so when you, when you work with a scale architect, they can they can really dial in to the specific things that you need to do on the stage that you're in to right. get to the stage that you want to go. And I don't know of any other system that does that as effectively. I, uh, just as you were sharing that, <clears throat> uh, I, I remember something that I learned over the holiday period. Um, I went back at Thanksgiving to the UK to visit my family. It was the first time I could do it for a couple of years because of the COVID thing. And I spent some time with my now 10-year-old grandson, uh, with him essentially handing me my behind on Super Mario Kart and whatever other games he was playing. Uh, I'm not a gamer, never have been a gamer. I've really been interested in it until my self-esteem was so torpedoed by this cheeky little 10-year-old. So I did a really dumb thing and I bought myself a Nintendo uh, PS5, a PlayStation 5. Uh, and I haven't done it for years. And I'm sitting uh, in, in darkness, devoting hours to something called Ratchet and Clank. Uh, and I, I realized something, which was, you know, you can, you can, as you say, you can get out of white water or optimize your time and fun, or work out how to stay in predictable success, whatever your key goal is, recover from treadmill, by uh, uh, doing what is essentially what an idiot like me does trying to learn a game. And I don't mean that any of our listeners are idiots, but you can just get killed a hundred times on the same level, just doing the same thing, working out, oh no, that I'll, I'll die if I step on that rail, do it again, skip that rail, realize you've got to get out of the way of the truck that's coming behind you die twice trying that and you can just go through the level 56 times until you've actually got out and then you realize there's just another level to go to or you can have a guy come in if you want to and just take you through the level and that's what we do is we we help people get 
to somewhere they would get to anyway without the interim grief of experimentation and experimentation and experimentation. And that's mostly, as you say, you go to any business library, there are a million books out there telling you to do this, do this, do this, do this. What we do, what we have in the model that nobody else has is here's the sequence. Here's what's needed at this stage of your growth at this point to do. Don't worry about the others, do this. The other thing I'll say with, uh, uh, in, uh, without wanting to, to uh, grab the uh, whole narrative myself is I do believe the question of accountability is a huge issue, that you, you hire a skill architect, you have somebody who's going to drive the process, you're still going to do the work, they're going to be your guide, but you got to show up, you know, you've got the dates in the diary for the in-person sessions or the Zoom sessions, whatever it might, might well be, you know, you get checked up on by Slack or, or Voxer or whatever your chosen communication process is, and that accountability uh, is huge because otherwise the most urgent issues of the day just overtake. Well, Scotty, yeah, uh, this is it's gonna... amazing on that. It's amazing how much work happens the two weeks before our next session. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right, right. Maybe even the day before, uh, yeah. but which, which is great. Otherwise, it just doesn't happen at all. Yeah. Um, in in uh, overall summary, we'll link to the uh, specific webinar that we talked about for folks who are thinking, uh, either are consultants and coaches that are thinking of becoming and might want to use this scale architects model, you get a huge amount of value whether or not you follow up with us or not. If you're interested in uh, working with a scale architect, how do people get in touch with you and start? Yeah, so if you, if you go to, it's on the Predictable Success website, but if you go to scalearchitects.com and scroll to the bottom, there's an opportunity there to have just a free 15 minute fit consultation where I'll sit down with you, find out where you are, and I'll help you find the best consultant for you. The So our scale architects special in dif specialize in different parts of the model. And, uh, and they're in different places and in different industries. And so what I can do in my unique position is kind of sit in the middle of all of that and say, hey, here's who I think would be the best fit for you. And I'd be happy to have that conversation with you and, and get to know you a little better. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, I, we've talked a lot about the predictable success model, but uh, I'm gonna spring this, this on you. But uh, one of the biggest fans I've come to learn of the predictable success model is in fact, your son, Benjamin so much so that he has his own signed personalized copy. Uh, I found a podcast I'd never heard of because of his recommendation. Uh, just tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Benjamin's fixation with predictable success. Yeah, Benjamin is uh, is it's too he's too much like me, and it's it's kind of scary. He even looks like me, uh, poor kid. But he, um, he he's read the book, not all of it, but most of it. Um, and he and he read it, I think, when he was either eight or nine years old. So it's been a couple of years now. And uh, I remember one day he came to me, um, you know, shortly after I had started the consultancy as a practitioner. And he said uh, we're, uh, it was bedtime. And so I'd read him a story or something. And he was sitting there and he, he just this moment of silence. And he goes, Daddy, your business is an early struggle, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Poor guy. He's like. It's going to be okay, Daddy. <laughs> I love it. And I love so, it. Yeah, his um, he's on a, an Alexander Hamilton kick right now. But um, most often, he uh, if he ever gets a, an opportunity to control the radio, he wants to listen to Business Wars. Uh, he's which he's I can recommend I, on his recommendation. Yeah. I've, I've consumed all of it. Well, what I normally say to my guests at this point is, uh, "This has been fantastic," and 
we're going to have you back in three to five years and find out how this has all worked out. But uh, two things are different. First of all, uh, all of our listeners uh, probably know a little bit about you already and will continue to because we've obviously got a close working relationship. But secondly, I suspect in three to five years, I'll be talking to Benjamin about how it's all. Scotty, it's been fantastic. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.